I'll drive around the corner, pay my money, and get the full service meal. And uh, God said, Todd, uh, this is my church, not your business, in the sense of like, a, you know, a, an, a company. And, you know, it, it grows. It's, it's, an, it's an organism. You, you grow it, you water it, you tend to it. And you need to be a shepherd to sheep, not just a, a CEO. And, and so I've gone undergone some heart changes as well. And I think it's good that God still works in hearts, aren't you? So I'm excited to be part of an eight-week-old church. And I talk to people in the week and other pastors and other people and share with them. They're like, man, 100 people in eight weeks. I'm like, yeah, I know that's all. You know, that's kind of like that. And they're like, man, that's pretty awesome. So it's just a matter of, of relative perspective sometimes. But I want to thank you guys. And I love every one of you people. And, and if you're new and you're a guest, you say, you don't know me. How do you love me? Well, I love you in the Lord. I mean that, you know. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us, isn't it? He puts a common bond, a common link in our spirit. Uh, that's why when Kelly and Kevin were gone last week, suddenly with, their, with Kelly's father, and by the way, he came home Friday, didn't he? Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. We're excited about that. Took a turn for the worst about Monday or Tuesday, right? But the Lord brought him back, and he's at home now. And You know, we, can, we feel that for them from here to Colorado. We feel that for them. Uh, Diane had some needs in her family this week, late in the evening. Was it Friday evening? Or I think it was Thursday. And um, just we, we, we immediately felt that situation. We didn't know all those family members, like we know Diane. But, but we're there, we're praying, we're helping. Does that make sense? I'm going to tell you something. If you don't have a church in your life where the Holy Spirit can suddenly connect you with other people who are believers, you're missing out on something. Is that okay to say? You are. Because no other organization, no business, nothing has that to it. And we've got the Holy Spirit who is, is a common thread for all this. And I'm getting off track here in some ways, but praise God for the church. Let's talk about the church today a little bit. Where is the church in prophecy? Well, let me just share something with you that I think is very interesting. When I say revelation to someone, or if I say to someone the end times, or let's talk about the apocalypse, we usually think of things such as four-headed beasts, a coming judgment, the Battle of Armageddon. We think of things that are, that are out there. Uh, wars and earthquakes and, and hell from the sky and fire-breathing dragons. We think of those things because we think about the end. But did you know, and I think this is very interesting, that in the very beginning of John's vision, by the way, that he had one vision that he wrote about. That's what Revelation is. But in the beginning of his vision, do you know what it is that he saw? Jesus Christ among the churches. So the truth is, when we think about the end times and, and the book of Revelation, while the vast majority of the details are about these beasts and these, and these wars and these judgments, did you know that the vision starts and is preoccupied in the beginning with Jesus Christ, His role in the churches and our attention to Him. I want to say something to you. Revelation is not all about there and then. It starts off with the here and now. Amen? You are part of this book called Revelation. And we explained in week one that, that we're in the end times, what many people call the last days. And we've been in those for a while. It's not based upon severity of events, is it? Remember that? It's not based on how bad things get, because we saw we saw in history there's been times worse than now, believe it or not. The, the term last days is, comes from the fact that it's part of God's historical calendar. So we're in the last days. We also saw that the very next thing to happen is the coming of Christ. We looked at the Scriptures and, and, and asked ourselves, when is that? And we decided that we didn't know. Some say, well, I think it's going to happen early on, or some will say a little later on. You know what? We're not sure it's going to happen. But I'll tell you this, though. There's a day coming, and boy, this will excite you, when the clouds are going to spread, and He's going to come in those clouds, and He's going to call His elect from the four winds, the Bible says, and every eye will see Him. So that leaves first family at this place. I'm pro-coming. I don't know if all those terms don't matter to me. I'm not in all those camps. I, I'll tell you what camp I'm in. I'm in the camp of the one who's coming back to get me. So that's the next event. So we're in the last days. He is coming back just as he went away. So where does that leave us now? Where's the church in prophecy? Well, that's what he does in this vision, in the very first part of this vision, Revelation chapter 1. 
Take your Bibles, and I want to read to you several verses this morning. But that's good because we love the Bible here, and uh, it's, I think you'll enjoy this. So I want you to have your pen ready. And I think to get a clear understanding of where the church is, I want to ask you to uh, read along with me silently. I'll have you mark a few verses, and then we'll understand this vision and how it relates to the church. Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, this man John was on the island of Patmos because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now let me say this to you about John, first of all. John was martyred for his faith because he was exiled to this island and pretty much left as a criminal to starve, to make do, almost like a survivor. You know, John, we can't deal with you here where all the population is. We'll put you out there on this island. But I want to say something before I say that. The island, the exile island, was only a second option. You realize that John was burned alive in oil. It did not kill him. Historical church records show us it didn't kill him. The emperor said, well, what am I going to do with you? Send him off on an exiled island. So John, when he says, I was in suffering because of the Word of God, he wasn't kidding, was he? Verse 10, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Here's what the trumpet voice said. Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And these are the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Circle verse 11. And somewhere in your Bible, or if you want to write this in your notes, however you want to do it, but I want you to write the word physical slash literal. Okay? It's important you have that in your notes. We're going to keep reading, but just circle the verse, verse 11. Because this trumpet voice, this vision began with instructions to John of write what you see down and send it to seven literal churches. So John's goal was to receive the vision, write it down, and then send it to seven real churches in seven real cities. That's a literal, physical aspect of this vision. Let's read on now. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And this is, this is exciting here. We're going, to, we're going to get a picture of Jesus Christ. He's among the lampstands. Watch this. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Now watch me here, guys. The word like and the word as are prominent words in, in this part of the vision. So we're talking here now about some symbolism, right? Verse 11, he said, here's seven churches. Write what you see, send it to him. Then he said, he, he looked and he saw someone like a son of man, someone with a robe and, and a sash and, and like rushing water. So we have literal part of the vision and a figurative part of the vision. Very, very important to understand that, okay? Hang with me. You're intelligent people, you can get this. But it's very important you understand. Let's read on, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. Isn't that great news? I want to say to everybody here, that when you encounter Jesus Christ, don't be afraid. That may be your first thought. It was Isaiah's first thought, wasn't it? He saw God in the temple, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. But God wasn't there to judge and to hurt him. God was there to send him on a mission. I want to say to you that that when you really get a view of God, a real view of Jesus Christ, His holiness and His majesty is motivating, not necessarily intimidating. Amen? When I saw Him, I felt His feet, and He said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And then He says this, Right there for what you've seen. And this is what he saw. He saw what is now, and he saw what will take place later. 
Now I want you to circle verse 20, and I want you out beside verse 20, I want you to write the word figurative or spiritual. Here's what verse 20 says. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You know, if you read this vision, you see there's basically two, two areas to it, a figurative area and a, and a literal area, a physical and a spiritual. We're going to understand this today to understand your role because the very first part of the vision was what? Christ among the lampstands. Who were the lampstands? The churches. In fact, he says, I held in the hand, my right hand seven stars. Who were the seven stars? You may know. The angels of the seven churches. What does all this mean, Todd? Well, let's talk first of all about the, the geography of John's vision. Let's, let's just fill that in, number one, because I think this is the physical side of his vision. And I'm going to show you a map and let you see exactly what's going on here, okay? Now, those of you who like MapQuest.com, those of you who are really into topography, you'll like this part of the message. I want to show you something here. John got a vision in the Spirit, and, the, and Jesus Christ said to him, Write what you see. Now, watch this. This is modern-day Middle East. You see Syria and Iraq. You see Iran. Uh, if you go south here, uh, here's the Tigris and Euphrates. By the way, if you see, I can't reach that high, but up there about where my finger shadow is, most folks believe the Garden of Eden was right in that area where Tigris and Euphrates meet. If you go down here a little bit, Israel. So we're in the Middle East area. You with me? Um, the seven churches were right here. Let me show you. This is, what, this is what it looked like then. If you were to take the seven churches and place them in today, that's where they would be. Now, I want to say something about this. These were seven literal churches that this letter was supposed to go to. All right? I don't believe personally they represent seven time periods. Some of the people here are really into Revelation, and, and they believe that these churches represent seven time periods. The problem with that is we just aren't told that. I think you have to read that into the Bible. The truth is there were seven literal cities, and they all got the book of Revelation. So when Ephesus got this letter, this vision, he not only read what was written to them, he also read what Philadelphia had told him, does that make sense? This were seven literal cities with churches, and, and, and they got this revelation. It was about things now and about things to come. I want to say something to you more than that, though. If you look at this map, and we're going to, go, we're going to page back in a minute, so hang with me, Amber. If you look at this now, in Acts chapter 1-8, they were in Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ told His disciples, they were, let's say it right down here, he said, you'll receive power. Then they asked him, hey, when's the end of the time? Remember that? Acts 1, 6, I think. When's the end? He said, don't worry about the end. What you should worry about is how to when you receive power, being witnesses. And he said this, you'll be witnesses, Acts 1, 8. Y'all jot this reference down. Unto me, both in Judea, Samaria, and then he said, the uttermost parts of the world. Can I say to you that Revelation, the seven churches, represents the, the not the complete, but the fulfillment of much of Acts 1.8. Did you know that? I mean, it, it left Judea, Samaria, and look how far up here the gospel had gotten. Can I say to you something about that? Acts 1.8 compared to Revelation 1.11 shows that God's Word is spreading. Isn't that good news? Now, let's go back a page, uh, Amber. Here's current. If we were to take that and just enlarge it to see America, China, Japan, and all these countries with the, with the gospel presentation. Sure, there's unreached people's groups, but think about this. When he told the disciples in the upper room, wait for the Spirit. And when the Spirit came, it birthed the church. And the church began to spread. It went from Jerusalem, Judea, suddenly to these seven churches, and then onward to all the world. Imagine being a part of that. Isn't that cool? Now, I'll say that to you, brother. I want to say this to you. Watch. If you're here and you're checking out Christ, if you're here and, and you're maybe a, a lukewarm Christian, maybe you're in the church, out of church, maybe Christmas, Easter, or maybe you're like, you know what, I'm just kind of not sure I can believe some of the things in the Bible. It seems like a myth. I want to say something to you. The Bible's records are historical. What I'm teaching today, what I'm preaching to you about seven churches in seven cities, 
were real cities. They were in a real geographical location. And they showed they were part of the plan of God to, to get the gospel of the whole world. Believing in Christ and being part of His church means you're part of a historical, geographical plan to preach the gospel to the whole world. Amen. Let's have the lights back up, Bible, if we can. Isn't that awesome? I mean, we're not talking about some figurative, uh, hope-so, pie-in-the-sky theology. We're talking about real-life um, uh, Great Commission churches. What do you say in Matthew 28? Go into all the... Preach the gospel. Guess what? It started in Acts 1-8 in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and it has expanded. Now, I want to show you something. Watch this. As time draws near to the end, it will again contract. Watch me. Let's leave it right. Let's go to the next. I'll leave it here, Amber, for a second. It exp- I'm going to use my shadows because I can't re- It expands. You like that puppet show here? It expands, okay? It started off a little south here and went to the seven and expanded. The day is coming, people. The day is coming, church, when it will once again contract and everything will focus again on this southern area. I didn't put it on the map because I wanted you to see those seven. But once again, it will all focus on this area. Say, so what do you mean, Todd? The whole world will turn on Israel at some point in history. Excuse me, at some point in the future. We're not sure when that is yet. It will be after Christ comes. We know that. Uh, the Bible talks about folks from the north and the east moving in against Israel. They will set up a, a camp. They will set up a war against Israel. But at the very last minute, in what is known as Armageddon, I'll teach on this in a few weeks, Christ will come from the sky and He will, he will vanquish all of Israel's enemies. You see, suddenly all the attention is again focused back where? The Middle East. I want to say something to you. Now watch this. The Bible, when you talk about geography and world events and history, the analogy in Scripture is that of a woman giving birth. Do you know that? Now, in labor pains, we've had four children. Oh, excuse me, my wife's had four children. Don't want to. That's amen. You're right on that. I mean, she's the she's the the workhorse on this baby thing, right? I know. Now, watch this. There's this uh, labor pains contraction. You know, it, it gets real tight. And there were times that I feel a tummy. Maybe man, it's just hard as a rock. You know, and then they go back. Baby's, that baby's on the way. That baby's coming. Watch this. The same analogy is true. The world. Something's being birthed. Church, you listen to me. Something's being born. And it's, it, we're in the middle of contractions right now. And so the gospel, let's go back to our shadow. The gospel's been expanding. We're in the birth pain process. And then it will shrink. What is being birthed? Watch this. The kingdom of God. Really? Yes, Todd, because when everything's expanding contraction, expanding contracting, when it all comes down to right here in the southern part again, he'll come, he'll set up his rule. He'll vanquish all of Israel's enemies. He'll set up a throne. He'll sit on it for a thousand years. And the Bible says that a rule of righteousness will take place. That is the birth of the kingdom of God, literally on this earth in a geographical region not too far from these seven churches. So I just want to be very bold with you. I don't believe in a fairy tale Bible. I don't believe in a make-believe myth. I believe in a historical account given in the Bible that's credible. And if you're checking out Christ, if you're wondering, hey, can I even believe this stuff? Yes. Here's history and geography to show you that not only did Acts 1-8 fulfill itself through God's sovereignty, but the day is coming when it's in this, in this same area. By the way, in this same area, it will all contract again. Iraq over here to, uh, to the um, right of Syria. Most scholars believe that old Babylon is very similar or close to modern-day Baghdad. And most folks believe that that area in Iraq will be, and this is speculation, most folks believe that's where the Antichrist is going to set up his kingdom. In that area of the world. You're looking at the geography of end times right now. And you see why when they say they're coming in to get Israel, these are the people that are the, the key players. Here's what I say that to you guys. That's important in John's vision. These seven churches were part of that initial vision. 
you're part of that vision. You're part of the Church of Christ. It's under the Acts 1-8 expansion right now. It's into the uttermost parts of the world. One day, it's going to all focus again back in this area. Our role during that time is very crucial. Our role during the time right now is to make sure that we fulfill the Great Commission. That is the church's role. But let's talk a little bit about the symbolism of this vision, okay? Just jot this down, would you? The symbolism of John's vision actually shows us more about what we're actually to do in this time frame. There's some key phrases. First of all, the phrase, among the lampstands. That's where Christ was. Uh, Who are the lampstands? They're the churches, the seven churches in this area. He said he had seven stars in his right hand. And those are the angels of the seven churches. Folks have said, Todd, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of theories. I'm going to share them with you. Some think that the angel of the church is the pastor of the church. You know that? That's a common held belief. I don't buy that. Now, I could be wrong. This is speculative. The Bible doesn't say exactly who the angels are. I think it means what it says. Imagine that. I just take the Bible, for the most part, I think the Bible explains itself. And most folks who don't get it are, are way deeper than they need to be. I think that the Bible says that churches have an angel. In fact, if you read the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about how believers have angels. I believe every believer has an angel. Peter had an angel. He was locked in prison. Remember in the book of Acts? The Bible says specifically that his angel. Now, this may sound like touch my angel to you, but I'm just telling you the Bible, what I think the Bible teaches. His angel came, opened the gates, and escorted him out. Took him to a prayer meeting. I think here churches have a, maybe a representative angel. We know there is a hierarchical structure in heaven. We know that. There's 24 elders. There's cherubim and seraphim. So you know what I think? I think first family has got either one or a group of angels that help us with our ministry. I don't think that this means the pastor any more than it could mean the elders. I think it means what it says. So you have these lampstands with these angels. Isn't it funny that Christ used a lampstand to talk about the church? He didn't use a, a chair. He didn't use a political action committee. He didn't use a voting booth or a football game. He used a lampstand. Could someone maybe just tell me what Matthew 5.16 says? I'm calling somebody's memory here, I know, but let's just see the church speak up. What does Matthew 5.16 say? Anybody know by memory? Could say, in, say it, Mike. You're the light of the world. Therefore, let your light, say it with me if you know it, shine before men. So they can see your good works and then glorify whom? God who's in heaven. You know, the church is a a shining light. That's why when you leave here every Sunday, where the church gathered, we ought to shine. But I want to tell you something. When you leave here, your candle does not go out. We call upon you to be holy, to live righteously, so that out in a dark world, like Philippians 2 says, you shine as lights in the world. And that's why. I'll say it because it's as good a time now as ever. In our church, as well as in our family, we do not hold or believe to the hunker-down philosophy. Say, Todd, what's a hunker-down philosophy? The end of the world's coming. Dig a ditch. Get a white robe and jump in it. Don't even, I mean, they're all going to contaminate us. Hurry, run away. That's not us. I believe the Bible means what it says when it says you're in the world but you're not of it. I want to say something to you. I need to rub shoulders with people in my sphere of influence who don't know Jesus Christ, and you do too. You know what? Because their world is dark, and you are a candle. Why, why do we run from the very environments that God has placed us in to shine? Now, I say that in the pulpit, but it's hard to live. Um. Bethany's last soccer week was this week. So they had this. Uh, and I'm, I may make somebody mad when I say this. So please come back and I won't make you mad next week. Um, so they had this special pizza party, you know, like for all the team. And, and, and we don't know these folks real well. But, but we know that, that she's on that team for a reason. And we know we want to get to know them. And I don't know how many of them are saved. I don't know. I haven't really asked them straight out yet. But I've gotten to know a lot of them. We sit by them at games and... And to be quite frank with you, 
we feel a little odd at times. Is that okay to admit to you? I'm like, you know, we don't do things with these people very much. I don't quite know. I don't know much. I don't know much about them. So on this pizza party, we were just going to, well, yeah, y'all go eat the pizza and have a good party. But I just felt very convicted Thursday afternoon. I, th- I came on. I said, honey, I said, we need to go to this. And, and we had made other plans. And I said, I just feel in my spirit, we need to go. And my wife was so awesome. She said, I trust you on this, you know. And, and I couldn't explain it. I just know I didn't want Bethany to go to this party with all these friends, all their parents. And then, where's your parents, Bethany? Well, they're... And the truth is, we were afraid to go. And what would they drink? Well, they drink beer. I just tell you, that's what they drink. Is that? I mean, uh, what do they eat? Well, they eat pizza. So we're going to eat pizza. We won't drink beer. So I'm, I'm feeling all weird about this because I'm worried. But God said, hey, Dumbo, that's why you're here, buddy. I didn't say that to my wife, you know. But I was so concerned. I was out there doing some things late Thursday afternoon, trying to get the house, doing some trim work. And I told her, I said, honey, we just need to drop what we're doing. We need to go. We need to support Bethany and be mom and dad in her environment and show these parents that we're just like they are to a, to a large extent. And I say that in the right way. We're not, but we are. And see, the truth is a lot of us can be Christians. I don't know. But I'll tell you, man, the beer was floating around. The party atmosphere was there. You know what? And I, I, I just felt proud. And I'm going to say this in the right way. I sat there with our family, and we were in the middle. Of, we just had a great time. And I felt proud to say, you know what? This is really what my life's about. It's about involving myself with people who don't know Jesus so that one day, when, when they need to know, I say, you know what? i got to share with you. Jesus Christ is really what you're looking for. I want to say to you something. The, the lampstand, the church that shines, the Christian that shines, uh, light it up, people. Amen? Get to shining. Find that balance of being in the world but not of it. That's what the hunker-down philosophy is. I don't subscribe to it. I'll just tell you up front. I believe that we're here for a reason and for a limited time. Man, let's do all we can to shine for Jesus Christ. Now, a couple things about the symbolism I want to I show you. Not only is he among the lampstands, and, and there seems to be spiritual significance to the angels and and the power that's given to churches. I think it speaks to one central truth. And I think you ought to jot this down somewhere under number two. Just, just jot this simple phrase down. He is here. Where was Christ in the vision regarding the lampstands? Was he outside pointing to the lampstands? He was in the middle. I want to say something to you. That when it comes to the church, guess Who's in the middle? Say it with me. Jesus Christ. Guess who's here this morning? Jesus Christ. Every pod, that freaks me out. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, relax. It's almost like John said, I fell at his feet as one dead. He said, don't be afraid. I want to say to you, Jesus Christ is here. Don't be afraid. You say, Todd, I don't really know if I buy that. Let me show you one great verse. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In a verse that has been in my heart for about two and a half years. And if you, if you wonder about what this church looks like in two years and five years, I'll give you a great nutshell verse. I love to see this church. Uh, I'd love to see our church really have this happen. I don't know how. I don't have any of the details. But I'll tell you, I, I believe the Bible with all my heart. Look at this verse. 1 Corinthians 14. It's actually verse 25. We jump into the middle of a sentence. So I'm going to kind of explain. He's talking about how the church operates and what gifts are used. And he says, listen, if there's a lot of chaos and confusion and someone comes in from the back and says, hey, what's going on? They won't say, man, God's there. They're going to be wondering, like, man, you know, what's going on? But if, a, if an unbeliever walks in and he sees the gifts used properly in their right way, look at this. Look at the last part of verse 25. He says, he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, say it with me, God is really among you. Take the same word among. Look over at Revelation 1. Where was Christ? Among the lampstands. 
I want to say something to you. People, when they come to this church, they ought to leave saying, Man, God was there. Is that too much to ask? Not at all. In fact, it shows you the shallowness and the smallness of most church thinking. Well, we've got a good organization. We've got the order of service. Everything's laid out. Okay, and we go with that. That's church. Where's God? Well, wait, wait, wait. We got, we got this. And I'm not calling for no structure. I think First Corinthians 14 teaches structure and clarity. I'm just saying all of that points to something, that God is here. When we sing our hearts out, He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the Ancient of Days. Man, we're not just, you know, plodding through words. Man, our hearts ought to be directed to God saying, Lord, that's what you are. When you hear the Word of God explained and opened and, you, and your faith is increased, you ought to say, Lord, I believe more. You with me? He is here. God is among us. You say, Ty, what does that mean to me? Let me just have you jot four things down as we close. <clears throat> what now, I could call it. Okay, in light of the geography of the vision, that they're real churches, and that we're part of an actual historical plan to get the gospel to the world. That's right, you are. In light of the symbolism of his vision, that, that we're shining lamps and he's in the middle. Great, Todd, but i got to go to work tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. What now? I mean, give me some stuff that when I go home and I'm looking at my spouse at the dinner table or I'm working with my kids, that it makes a difference. Let's do that. Jot this down, number one. Well, first of all, let's back up. I want to give this. I want to show you where the church is. Just briefly, where is the church in prophecy? Under the sovereign plan of God, in the powerful presence of Christ, and against the wicked forces of Satan. That's where we are. Revelation 2 and 3 bear this out, by the way. In those seven churches, in those seven churches he mentions, all of them have to deal with the, the force of evil, the satanic pressure they're under to teach false doctrine. Heresy comes in and so forth. So I'm telling you something. We're under the sovereign plan of God. God is getting His gospel to the world. That's the geography part. We're in the powerful presence of Christ. That's the symbolic part. And we're against the wicked forces of Satan. That's the example part of Revelation 2 and 3. That's where we are. That means you are there. And that should make you glad and excited. Here's how that works out. Let's move on to these four things. Here's how that works out. Number one, recognize and respond to the centerpiece of the church's focus. Say it with me. Ready? Say this. Say his name. Ready? Jesus. Not the pastor. Not the greeter with the donuts. Not the guitar player. Not the cool video. Jesus. You know, when you come in here, you ought to be expecting to see the Lord's work. Amen? That's what we're here for, people. And that's why all across the world, you can gather 100 folks in this room and, and 6,000 in this building and, and 20,000 over here, and then you can gather two in a basement. But a common thread is that they're there to see Jesus Christ. And what did he say about that? He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there, say it with me, I am in the middle of them. Like the word among. He's among the land. He's in the middle of them. God is among you. You see the point here? Pahan. We ought to start recognizing the central focus of the church. I was amazed in reading the Christmas story how the king could not find Jesus, though he lived in the same town. But three wise men who came from afar went right to his home. You ever wondered about that? Now, granted, the wise men had the star. They had Old Testament prophecy. But I want to tell you what I think. In light of that, putting it all together, I think you usually find what you're looking for. The king wanted him for the wrong reasons, didn't he? He didn't find him. The wise men wanted him for the right reason, and they found him. You know, in the Old Testament, God said something similar. He said, you will find me when you look for me with all your heart. See, a lot of you looking for God 
for all the wrong reasons. And you come to church, you're like, I didn't see him there either. Well, you're right. The person next to you found him with no problems. But because of the motives and the reasons of your heart, you missed him. I want to say something to you with a, with a bold attitude, with a kind spirit. God's here. That's not the problem. The question is, will you, will you recognize Him? That's why I don't really pray. God, be with us. I, that's not even a biblical prayer. Do you know that? He's here, people. The problem is on the human side of that deal, isn't it? We've got to recognize that. So I ask you this morning, have you recognized Jesus Christ among us this morning? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Have you, did you come in expecting to see Jesus for the right reasons? Or were you like, man, I hope they got good sprinkles on those donuts today. Man, I can't believe they didn't have coffee. All they got is pop. That pastor needs Diet Coke, you know. Man, I, we need to realize those of us drink coffee. Man, I can't believe they didn't have more tables or more chairs. Yeah, we can find everything in the world to look at and we'll miss Jesus. Man, that song was a little this or that message was a little this or... She had on that, or he had on that, or... Yeah, you'll miss Jesus again. But when you come looking for Jesus, He's the centerpiece. And everything else just kind of the peripheral vision. When He is your ocular vision, in other words, your immediate sight line, you'll find Him. I want to, I want to say something to you. I want to call this church to recognize Jesus. That's right. In a, in a leased room, doesn't look at church, in a rented space with tables and chairs. We're just eight weeks old. Right. Look and find Jesus. Amen. And in fact, I want to tell you that where will you find Him? Probably as close as the person next to you. Because you see, the Bible speaks of the church being the, the hands and the arms of Jesus. If you want to be Jesus, just reach out and minister to somebody. And they'll see Jesus. It's really not that hard, is it? It's funny how we make church so complicated. Number two, watch the hot spot of the world stage, which is the Middle East. I come back to the, the birthing analogy. Contraction, expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction. It's going to once again contract to the world stage of the Middle East. I'd keep your eyes on that. That doesn't mean that God is not interested in the whole world. He is. He loves the world. He wants the gospel to the whole world. We're part, that's what the church's role is right now. That's where we are in prophecy. Under God's plan, in His presence, against the pressure of Satan, we're taking the gospel of the world. But I'll tell you something. That will once again contract, remember? And God will focus for a week period, which is really seven years. But in Old Testament language, that, that week, He'll focus once again for seven years on His people. That's the hot spot. In fact, I'll teach you a little phrase here. You know that in most prophetic circles, Israel is known as God's, I'm going to say it, right? Super sign. Because what, as Israel goes, so goes the, the future calendar. Do you know that? So keep your eyes on Israel. Keep your eyes on the Middle East. It's the real hot spot. It's kind of a trigger area. Number three. Erase any doubt or fuzziness about your role during these last days. And here's your role. Can I say it with you? Say it with me. Ambassador. I've always said this, and I don't find a lot of support sometimes, but I still believe it and I still say it. You know, some folks say that the church is a, is a country club. That's not true. We're not a country club for those who've got enough money to get in. And some folks think we're a hospital. I don't necessarily buy that either. You know what we are? We're a foreign embassy. We're people gathered together for a specific task in a foreign country. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. The embassy is is where we go to get training, to get motivated, to receive shelter. If things get really bad out there, we can kind of hunker down for a while. But I'll tell you something else. You know that in a foreign country, when you visit an embassy, you can actually be a foreigner and go to the embassy for protection. You can go there for asylum. You can go there for medical help. Is that not the church? Man, we're in a foreign country. The Bible calls us aliens. <laughs> Hello there. No offense. You're not an alien, Diane, I promise you. The Bible calls us aliens. We're in this foreign country. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. Ephesians chapter 1. 
We belong up there. We're on a journey back there. He's coming to get us to take us where He is. But in that meantime, we're in this foreign world and we've got a mission. We've got a job to get the gospel of the whole world. So you know what? All over this foreign world, there's little embassies planted so that the Christian family of God can receive their training, their protection, their, their help, their sustenance. I think that's the best analogy of a church. We're a foreign embassy. That means that when you're watching your neighbors and they look like, man, they're barely making it, you ought to say, hey, listen, now don't use the word foreign embassy, but say, hey, come on to church on this Sunday because you know that while you get the training you need and the support, you also know that, man, that's one place a foreigner, listen to me, that's where a foreigner can find the, the rescue and the asylum from the world that wants to take them out. Is the church hearing me this morning? Man, you ought to keep your eyes on your neighborhood. And your home is that as well. But man, I, I just want to bring all, your, bring all your friends to the foreign embassy of the First Family Church. And I promise you this, you, you stay involved and connected. We'll give you the training you need and the help and the support to be a shining witness and a candle. That's your role. In fact, can I show you a verse? Just real quickly. Let me show you this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's actually 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just reading through these verses and realize that I'm further along than I realize. 2 Corinthians 5. He talks about, beginning in verse 16, about, you know, we're in Christ and we're new creatures. But look what he says then. Verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. We are therefore Christ, say it with me, ambassadors. And I love this part. This really will, will uh, up the passion in your life. As though God were making His appeal through us. Do you see that phrase? Do you see that phrase, people? This is not just a liturgical request, RSVP when you can. We are His ambassadors. We're in a foreign country. That's what that word means, right? We've got a foreign embassy where we get support and help. But I'm telling you something, man. We're sent by God. And the person next to you, the person who works with you, when you talk to them, you're not just, oh yeah, my pastor said invite somebody. And can you come to church, Sunday? It's, it's okay. Uh, you don't want to? I wonder why. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. We, you know, it's, it's, it's as though God were speaking through us to them. Be reconciled to God. And if that doesn't give you a whole new perspective about your role in this world, and it's more than paying the bills. Amen. It's more than kicking the soccer goals. It's more than taking the dance class. It's more than learning the musical instrument. It's more than getting the property. It's more, it's more. You know what it is? It's about saying to your friends who one day may not go to heaven, listen, man, i got to tell you, God wants me to talk to you. Do you know Jesus Christ? That's what it's about. That's why we're here. That's why you've gathered on Sunday mornings to be motivated to go for the next six days and do that in your life. That's why next Sunday I hope somebody come back from my, you know, arm in arm with somebody. So, hey, I brought old Joe with me. Hey, Joe, we'll meet him, we'll talk. I know what's going on. You're bringing a foreigner to the embassy to be rescued. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times, a lot of us are like this, though. We're ambassadors like the lady in this video clip. And I want to see if you're more of these undercover ambassadors. Watch this simple clip. Let's hope it sounds right up and running. See if you find yourself in this.
think she's part of the hunker down crowd, <laughs> isn't she? I mean, like, excuse me, ma'am, right next to you, just tell her there's hope. You know, she could have done what we're going to ask you to do this week. She could have just gave her this track. You know, in your worship folder, there's one of these tracks, or maybe your table. Everybody see one? Invite, would you put your hands on one? Would that be okay to ask? I'm going to ask you to do something. You say, Todd, Todd, I'm not real like, you know, outgoing like you or rude like you. Uh, you know, I, I'm not real like in people's face, but, but so I can't do that. No, you can do that. Look for opportunities and then just do this. You know, can I give this to you? And give them this. It's about our current series. It's also about the end. And it'll prompt some conversation. Just give out, could you give out one track this week? You could. Everybody can do that. In fact, you know how I give them out? I take one with me to the gas pumps when I get gas. And I leave them on the gas pump. Outside, first of all. I never pay at the pump if I can help it. I did last night, but for the most part, I always pay inside because I take one in with me. And when I pay, I leave it on the counter. Then I'm at Walmart. And I'm shopping or I'm, we'll leave one, pull a thing of milk out, leave it in place of the milk. You know, who may find it? Well, I'd say one thing, the stock man will find it for sure. Who's leaving these around? Oh, man, I'm telling you, you can find all kind of ways. If you say, I'm just not a real gregarious kind of person. Well, here's a track. Would everyone just give out one track this week? Could you do that? We'll have some more here next week. I promise you. Give out one, would you? You say, why? Because that is our role. We're ambassadors. Lastly, raise the priority level of church in your life and family. You know what the church is? Say it with me. The church is His bride. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you here and tell you this and, and very frank with you. Most of you have not referred to the church in this way this week. You've not done it, have you? You haven't said, hey, honey, I'm excited about the bride getting together Sunday. That just sounds kind of weird to you. Sounds kind of weird to me. But can I say to you, that's exactly what you are to Jesus. You're the beautiful bride. So when folks kind of like knocking on the church, you know, I know they, they mean the human organizational side of that. I understand that. But inside my heart, I get a little fired up because they're picking on Jesus' woman. So you, you can come around and me and my wife can have honest, straight, face-to-face talks, right? But you can't have that with me about her. We step outside then, right? It's a different ballgame. I'm amazed at how many people who are part of the family of God always knocking on the bride of Christ. Excuse me. Yeah, we've got our faults. We do. We're not perfect. But we're still His beautiful bride. He died for us. He washed us. And He's going to one day present us perfect. Man, I want to be part of something like that. So I want to say something to you. Raise the view of church in your life and family, and you'll probably find that your commitment will correspondingly increase. In fact, I'd say to you this. Some of you here are struggling with your commitment to church. You're in and out, or maybe you've just been attending for a number of weeks, but you're really not connected. You're not sure you want to do more than just sit and watch. And I respect that to a degree, but I'll tell you something. One of the reasons that you struggle with greater commitment is because you have yet to see the church as His bride you still see it as a man-run organization. Kind of a hierarchical structure, maybe starting in Rome somewhere. And so all these problems, all this corruptness. Man, what's wrong with the church? Well, there's some legitimacy to your question. But I'll tell you something. The Bible says we're the bride of Christ. And when, when, even when we're all messed up, He's still got His plan working perfectly. And I want to be connected to His church. With all of our faults, because of people like me, I still want to be connected to His bride. That's why at our home, we have, a, we have a, a, a pretty good philosophy of one thing. We have a lot of things we're working on. But I'll tell you, there's one thing that, that we do that, that I like, and we just discovered this about three years ago. If you can play soccer, football, or do drama two or three hours a week, church is at least that important. Amen? So if our youth pastor asks us to be at church for two hours on Wednesday night, we say, wow, but, but that's kind of late. Not any later than basketball practice. Oh, ouch, man. Get off my toes. 
Amen? Explain why it didn't work. Why does the church have to adjust all the time? So we said to our kids, you know what? If you can practice ball till late, you can be at church till late. If you can go to nine, we have no problem going to nine. Are you with me? Dad, I need 20 bucks for a field trip. Okay. Dad, we're going on a mission trip. I need 20 bucks. Man, that church is always asking for money. Well, wait, stop. Back it up. Back up the truck here. If the school has $20 needs and we have no problem, I'll give the church too. You with me? You see, I'm so tired of treating the church like they're always hounding us when the truth is they're the bride of Christ. I'll tell you what I think. The church ought to be the priority of my family. And if I can get them up to run and play soccer at 7, well, man, for the sake of Jesus Christ, I can get them up at 9.30. This sleeping in philosophy holds about this much water to me. It's just they don't want to be there. Now, we ought to do our part on this end to make it good. I'm not lying to you. We ought to be engaging and, and informational and, and inspiring. Are you with me? I want to say to some of you, you need to raise the view of church in your life, and that will consequently increase your commitment. I'm amazed how much money people spend at things and then get mad if the church asks for a couple of dollars. Or a missionary comes in, we take an extra offering, and they say, man, we had two offerings today. Well, you went out to eat at least twice this week probably. You didn't mind paying that? I'm just an honest guy with you. Is that okay? I mean, Brad's back there just grinning and laughing. Here's what I'm saying, guys. The days of treating the church like she's a problem, they're over in my life. I want to be connected and committed. Who knows, Mike? I want you that way, too. I think some of you ought to join this church. I've been praying for you for weeks. I've been calling you, we talking. I don't want to pressure, but I will be honest with you. I'm not going to pretend. I think you ought to join this church. You've enjoyed it. You like it. It fits you. You ought to join it and get involved somewhere. Join one of our setup teams. Join a, join a team that tears down this place when we're done. Join a kids crew. Join a small group. Maybe lead a small group. You with me? I'm calling on you to do that. You say, why? Because you want to build your organization? No, because I believe in the bride of Christ. It's the end times. It's the very last days. We've got a job, a geographical, historical job to do. Your role in that as the church is to be involved in the expansion process. He'll contract it when he's ready to birth his kingdom. Until then, please connect to his bride. Be an ambassador and let's be the church in prophecy. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray.